God bless you, my beloved. This is uh, Friday evening, the 17th of January, 2020. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. Coming to you with the first half of our weekly segment, our weekly production presentation of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And God bless you for being with us this evening. We praise God for you. We glorify and magnify the name of Jesus, God's dear son. We bless and praise him for all things, for life, health, strength. Most of all, we bless and praise him for the salvation that has been so freely offered to us through his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, kingdom, uh, power, dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen to his name. Blessed be his name forever. I want to continue to talk to you this evening from the thought the gospel according to the garden of Gethsemane 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 we've been talking about how Jesus totally submitted his will to the will of the Father. He totally submitted his will to the will of the Father. As we're going to read, as we read last week, Friday and Sunday, as we're going to read tonight, when Jesus was in the garden, there was a titanic struggle between Jesus, the Son of God, the Divine One, and Jesus, the Son of Man, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, we see him saying to the Father, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And he wasn't talking about a cup of a soft drink of uh water or of uh, you know whatever soft drinks whatever drinks besides water they may have consumed at that time in his culture of that day around 2,000 years ago he was saying take this cup of suffering this cup of what I have to do to go to the cross take this cup from me but he immediately he immediately resigned his will to the will of his father. I'm going to read that to you after we pray. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, but it's it's still worth reading. Let us pray. Father, in the name of your holy son, Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We bless and praise you. Thank you for your salvation that you offered to us freely because of you, because you sent your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to Calvary's cruel cross. He died a vicarious, voluntary, sacrificial, one-time, perfect death at Calvary's cruel cross. And you did bodily raise him from the dead, just as you promised and just as he promised. Blessed be your name forever. And we thank you and praise you for that. You saved us by your grace, by your mercy, not by anything that we've done, but by your love, your kindness, your grace, your mercy that you showered upon us because of the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, at Calvary's cruel cross. Blessed be your name forever. 
We ask that you open the eyes of our understanding, that we may do your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Blessed be your name forever, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for our sins. Help us, Lord, that as a result of this teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would be manifested by your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Please, Lord, help me to encourage your people. Please help me to teach them the truth of the gospel. Help me to not teach my opinions, opinions of men, but help me to preach and teach, Lord, the gospel truth of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, kingdom, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. All right, my beloved, we're going to start in Mark. We did uh, Matthew last week, Mark and Luke. I said that um, I said that this uh, that this event is also in John, but it's not. In John chapter eighteen, you see where Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's in John chapter eighteen, but where he says, "Father, take this cup from me." Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's not in that's not in in John's gospel. So. I did apologize for that, and I apologize again. It's not in John's gospel, but we're, but the similar, the same setting is in John's gospel, where Jesus was arrested after being betrayed by Judas uh, for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a dead slave. So the, the setting is in John 18, but the words, Father, take this cup from me, uh, that's not in John. So And I, I said it was, but I was wrong. So please forgive me for that. All right. So let's go to Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And I was supposed to look up and see what Gethsemane means. And I forgot to. I'm sorry. I forgot to look it up. Because every name has, a, every these places have meaning. The names have meaning. And uh, um, I just don't have, my, my Greek English Bible is, is, it's electronic. It's in my iPad. And my iPad is running right now, so I can't look up Gethsemane. I'm sure it means the place of, you know, something like the place of a decision or a place of sorrow. There's a meaning to it, and I, I, I promised I would look it up and just got busy, and I forgot to. But Gethsemane has a meaning. I'll let you look it up on your own. All right, but Gethsemane, I'll, I'll look it up. I just forgot to do it for tonight's lesson. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said, he being Jesus, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. There were 11 apostles here. Judas had already gone to betray him. So we have 11 apostles left. And he, sometimes when Jesus would do things, he would take Peter, James. He never took Judas with him. You can forget that because he knew Judas was not in the future plans. He would take Peter, James, and John with him to the Mount of Transfiguration or when he healed the paralytic. If you remember, they tore the roof. Um, uh, 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 I may be confusing healings here. There was one healing Jesus did. Uh, I believe he raised someone's daughter, Jared's daughter or something like that. He took James, John, and Peter with him. He had a reason for doing that. They would eventually end up being pillars of the New Testament church. James would become, you know, the superintending apostle of Jerusalem. Peter would have the keys to the kingdom. He would open the door of the church to the Jews in Acts chapter 2 and to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And then, of course, John was also a foundational apostle, became a pillar in the church. He would end up writing the gospel of John, 
the, the epistle of John. And then, of course, that great book that you had better read. If you don't read the book of Revelation, shame on you. John wrote the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Woo. I might start shouting if I continue to think about that. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be, Jesus began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Jesus was not a robot. He was not an automaton. He was not, he was a man. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he had feelings, he had spirit, he had soul, he had rational thoughts, he got angry, he got tired, he got thirsty. He had everything that we have except sin. There was no sin in Jesus' life. Because had there been sin in his life, he wouldn't have been able to be the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, But everything else that you have and that I have, Jesus had. But he had no sin. There's no sin in him. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter said he was the Lamb of God without a spot or a blemish or any such thing. So Jesus, you get tired, Jesus got tired. You get angry, Jesus got angry. But he didn't sin. Sometimes we get angry and sin. Jesus never sinned. You know, we get angry sometimes and say some things and cuss people out. Even as Christians, we say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do. Jesus never sinned. He's the God-man. He's perfect. He's divine. He's made. He's the God-man. Even in heaven right now, he's the God-man. Paul said in Timothy, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So even in heaven right now, Jesus is the man, Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand of, of the Father seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the, here we see this man here before Calvary. And he's deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He had a soul. The Greek word is psyche. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Jesus had never known death before. As the word of God, he had never known death. He was the creator. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him there was not anything made that was made. So He only knew creation, He only knew cre to, to be creative. He had never known death, He had never tasted the dregs of death. He had never tasted the sting of death. And now temporarily, Jesus is going to place himself, uh, if you will, and please don't misunderstand me when I say this, but temporarily He's going to place Himself because He's going to die, Temporarily, only temporarily, he's going to place himself within Satan's dominion. Temporarily, he's going to submit himself to death. And the Bible says death, the one who has the power of death is Satan, the devil. So temporarily, so he could die for our sins, he's going to place himself in Satan's dominion. As though he had done something wrong. When, he's on, when Jesus is on the cross... He's on there as though he had done something wrong. It pleased, the Bible says it pleased the, the Father, it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. The people thought that, that, that he was being executed because he was a sinner, a, a, a deceiver, a malefactor. The people thought he deserved to be on the cross. But no, he was wounded, as you know, for our transgressions. He was bruised, as you know, for our iniquities, the the price that had to be paid for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed from the ravages of sin. But temporarily, the Bible says he was made a little lower than the angels, temporarily for the suffering of death, that he by the grace of God might taste death for every man. So Jesus tasted death so that we won't have to taste eternal death. 
I might die tonight. You might die tonight or tomorrow in five years. We don't know. But Jesus tasted death so that we won't have to taste eternal death, what the Bible calls the second death. Blessed and holy is he who has power in the first resurrection. Upon such the second death has no power. But we shall be kings and priests unto God and unto his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Jesus tasted death at, at Calvary's cruel cross so that we won't have to taste eternal death. So he, here he is. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground. Jesus, he, he hated, he hated, he hated the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews, he despised the shame. He despised it. He despised the cross. But it was, it, the, animal blood cannot save a human. Because humans are made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. Humans are. It took a human being to die for humanity's sins. And that human being could not have one stain of sin in his life. That's why Jesus had to be born of the Virgin Mary. Glory to the Lamb of God. That's not Catholic theology. That's, Bibli that's, that's Bible theology. He had to be born of the Virgin Mary. So there could be no stain of sin in his life. So he could die for our sins at Calvary's cruel cross. He went a little farther and fell on the ground. He fell on the ground. Jesus fell on the ground. He's in agony. He's the, he said, my soul is distressed. One of the Gospels, I think it's Luke, says, like great drops of blood. It might have been John's Gospel, like great drops of blood uh, were coming from him. Sweat, like great drops of blood were coming from him. He fell on the ground and prayed that, it, that if it were possible, that if it were possible, glory to the Lamb of God, that hour might pass. For he didn't want to go to the cross. Let, let's not, let's not pretend that Jesus is some robot. He did not want to go to the cross. He did not. He, he just, Hebrews, read it in Hebrews. It's in chapter 12. He despised the shame of Calvary. He despised it. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, here he submits his will. Because Jesus had a rational will, just like you have a will. You're a Christian, but you have a will. You can decide to obey God. You can decide not to obey God. Don't think because you're a Christian that you're going to automatically obey God. You know you're not going to automatically obey him. I know I'm not going to automatically obey him. I have to, my will has to be in agreement with God's will. Well, Romans talks about the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Here, Jesus will, the man, he makes sure his will is in total agreement with the, with the divine. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, not, not what I will, but what you will. You know, and if we could learn to say that, we would be such more mature Christians. Lord, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do such and such. I really don't want to do this, Lord. But nevertheless, not my will. But your will be done. Because, Lord, you have a greater good um, that's going to be the result of this.
And if we could learn to do that, we would be such more we would be much more mature uh, individuals in the in God's kingdom. Then he came and found them sleeping. <laughs> Glory to God. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? He, he, he addressed him as Simon. Whenever he addressed Peter as Simon, he's addressing him in his human weakness. Peter meant rock. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be the rock, you know, the foundational apostle of the church, one of the foundational apostles. Your name is Simon, but Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter. But whenever he addressed him as Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Whenever Jesus addressed him as Simon, he was addressing him in his mortal weakness. Here he addresses him as Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. He says, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you pray one hour? You can watch, you can binge on Netflix. <laughs> I got right now, I got like uh, 60 hours of Law and Order uh, on my um, on my DVR. I'm not going to watch all of it, but I'll, I'll pick, you know, watch this one, erase that one, erase that after I've watched it. Now, I, I can binge on Law and Order. Don't mess with me. I can binge on some Law and Order if I put my mind to it. Can I pray one hour? Can I can I can I not pray one hour? I can binge on on Law and Order. I can binge on Netflix. We can binge on whatever. Jesus said, "Can can I get an hour of your time?" Right, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, because you know Simon is about to enter into some dangerous territory. Remember, he said, I'll never betray you. But he didn't know that a time was going to come when his will would be tested. And he would he would buckle under the pressure. Jesus knew it. Jesus said, you know, you're going to buckle under the pressure. Peter said, not me. I'm right. I ride or die with you, Jesus. Not me. I'm me buckle. No, I'm your boy. Remember, we went to the Mount of Transfiguration and, 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 and uh, you told me that you were going to build the church on the foundation of me and the other apostles and. And I'm your boy. I ride or die. Not me. Not your boy. <laughs> Jesus said, okay, yeah, right. I got you. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. He said, the spirit indeed is willing. And here it doesn't, it's not speaking of the Holy Spirit. It's speaking of the spirit within man. We all have a spirit within us. And that spirit is dead until we're born again. Jesus said the spirit is the spirit of man is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is mortal, right? Again, Jesus went away and prayed and spoke the same words. Father, Abba, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. I hate what's going to happen. I despise the shame. The Romans going to spit on me. They're going to slap me around. They're going to pull my beard out. They're going, to, they're going to thrust a crown of thorns into my lovely brow. I hate it. They're going, to, they're going to mock me by taking my clothes off and putting a robe on me. They're going to bow the knee to me and give me a reed uh, as though it's a, a scepter. When the Bible says the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Jesus' kingdom, the ruling staff of authority. And the Romans are going to completely mock me. I'm going to place my hand, my life, Jesus is saying here. I'm going to place my life in the hands of these Gentiles, these sinners who are not even in covenant with God. They're worshiping pagan gods. And I'm going to place my life into their hands and suffer under them and allow Pontius Pilate 
to order me to be flogged and crucified. And I'm also going to allow, because of my love for the world, because my love and the Father's love and the Holy Spirit's love for the world, I'm going to allow the people, the blind people of Israel, when Pilate asked them, you have a custom at the feast that I should release a prisoner unto you. Should I release unto you Jesus, your king? And Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself to the point where the, I'm going to allow the people to choose Barabbas, a murderer, an insurrectionist against the Roman government. I'm going to allow the people to say, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going to humble myself, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to humble myself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Not just any death, even the death of the cross. I'm going to humble myself because this is the price that must be paid to reverse the curse brought about by Adam and Eve. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and death passed upon all, for all have sinned. And the only thing that could reverse that was the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats and heifers, the blood of animals could not. Uh, one commentator said, because the blood of animals is, is, is amoral. It's not immoral. It's not moral. It's amoral. The blood of animals, there's no sin in the blood of animals. There's no righteousness. There's no, it's amoral. It's not, the blood of animals is not immoral. It's not moral. It's amoral. And the blood of animals could not save a man because man is, the, is God's highest expression. Man was made in God's image. Animals are not made in God's image. So it took a man uh, um, to, to redeem man from his sin. And that man, of course, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He went away and prayed the same words. He returned, he found them sleep again, for their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time. So Jesus prayed three times. He came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping? Oh, darn it. <laughs> you still sleep? Are you still sleeping and resting? <clears throat> it is enough. The hour has come. Behold. The son of man is being betrayed into the hands, he says, into the hands of sinners. Jesus is placing himself because of his love for us. He's placing himself into the hands of sinners. Glory to the Lamb of God. People try to say the Bible was written by man and the white man. Nobody's intelligent enough to write this book. If man were intelligent enough to write this book without God's aid, then that man, whoever did, would be superior to all men. No man has the intelligence, the foresight, the prophetic insight to, to write this book. This book was written by holy men of God as they were moved, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. He said in John chapter 10, I lay down my life and I take it again. I I, I, no man takes my life from me. I lay down my life and I take it again. Jesus said, I've received this commandment from my father. And because it's a commandment from my father, I'm going to fulfill it. Because the scriptures, Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scriptures cannot be broken. He knew he had to go to the cross. The scriptures can't be broken. He said, I'm being betrayed into the hands of sinners. He said, rise and let us be going. See, he said, my betrayer is at hand. What is my point? 
My point is that Jesus' will was completely submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus' will. He wasn't self-willed. That's the only point I've been trying to make. He was completely submitted to the will of the Father. And if we want to do the will of God, especially if we want God to use us the way we say we do, we cannot be self-willed. I know it's not easy because we have a will. You're a Christian, but you have a will. Because you're a Christian, you're not going to automatically do the will of God. And anybody who's telling you you're going to automatically do the will of God, they're, they're, they're not telling you the truth. You're not going to automatically do the will of God. You, you have a will. You can, you can choose to do his will. You can choose to not do his will. Come here, Jonah. Come here, Jonah. Come, Jonah. Hey, Jonah, come here for a second. Didn't the father, didn't, didn't, let's see here. Let me, let me, let me, y'all not believing me. Let me, let me. Come here, Jonah. Come here, Jonah. You, you got a minute, Jonah. I know you're busy. Come here, Jonah. I need, I need to talk to you for a second. Some of the people not believing what I'm talking about here. Jonah, you, you, you are a prophet. Jesus said you are a prophet. Jesus said when the Pharisees and the other Jewish uh, critics came to Jesus and said, show us a sign from heaven. If you are, you're the Messiah, show us a sign. Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to show you, this was after they had rejected him. He said, okay, y'all rejected me. Show's over. He said, the only sign I'm going to show y'all is the sign of Jonah the prophet. Where Jonah was in the heart of the, of the, of the, uh, um, of the, the, the belly of the whale. For three days, three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Come here, Jonah. Can, can we talk to you for a second? Because I got some people here. They believe that just because that, that because they're a prophet of God or an apostle or a Christian or a preacher or a deacon or a deaconess, they believe they're going to automatically do the will of God. And come here, Jonah. Can you help us out here? The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah, this is the Lord. Jonah, go to Nineveh. I want you to go there and preach a revival. Glory to God. Most preachers will say, Yo, yeah, okay. Okay. I'd be glad to go preach a revival. I, I preached a few myself. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord said, I want you to go preach a revival. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus attested to, confirmed that Jonah was a legitimate prophet of God. And matter of fact, he was out of Galilee. The, the Pharisees said in the New Testament, they said, no, no prophet has ever risen out of Galilee. Jonah was out of Galilee. He was a Galilean, just like Jesus. Glory to God. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh. And it looks like I'm reading this note here that Jonah means called. The word Jonah, I got a little note here in, this, in this, this mini Bible here. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. I got this little note here. It looks like jo the word Jonah means called. Glory to God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a Gentile land. And that's the main reason Jonah didn't want to go. 
he didn't want to go because he didn't want to go preach to the Gentiles because he even admitted, if you go to the fourth chapter, he said, Lord, I didn't want to go preach to them because I knew you were going to forgive them. Imagine being a preacher of God and you don't want to go preach you, because you know the Lord is going to forgive people when they repent. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me, the Lord said. But Jonah rose up to flee from, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. Jonah paid the fare. The Lord blessed him to make some money, and he took part of that money to escape from the Lord. Glory to God. So he thought. He paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's a prophet of God. You think he's, he's running from the prayer? What, what does he think? Does he think God, uh, what does he think that, that, that God's, uh, um, his, his outreach is only, is limited? Come on, Jonah. But when you're self-willed, you tend to think things like this. But the Lord, oh Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. But the Lord, the Lord could have killed Jonah. He could have, he could have taken him out. Cosa Nostra style. He could have taken, he could have taken Jonah out right there, but no, no. Okay. All right, Jonah, you, okay. All right. Okay. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to show you who the boss of the hot sauce is. Okay. So you're going to be self-willed. And I told you to go to Nineveh. I told you to go that way. You got on a cruise ship. You went the other way. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. He's the master of the sea, right? And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, the sailors, right? And cried every man unto his God. Now Jonah's on this ship with these other people who worship in all these other gods. They cried unto their God. And you know, you know, they're crying unto their God. You know, that wasn't going to stop the storm because it wasn't their gods that brought the storm. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brought the storm because he was bringing discipline into Jonah's life. And when we're self-willed, notice I didn't say you. I said we. Glory <laughs> to the Lamb of God. I think I'm preaching a little bit. I didn't say you. I said we. When we're self-willed, God will, he, he loves us. He gonna, he's going to bring discipline in our lives. The Bible says, whom he loves, he disciplines. So when you see the Lord disciplining you, it's because he loves you. Like you discipline your children, you discipline your children because you love them. And you, wanna, you want what's best for them. You want to you wanna straighten them out. So, the, so Jonah ran from the Lord because he was being self-willed. The mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, lowercase g-o-d, and cast forth the waves that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. The wares, I'm sorry, the wares. In other words, in other words, they started throwing stuff off the ship. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship. He's the problem, and he's he's in the bottom of the ship, sleep. <laughs> Selfish. You're the problem. Everybody else is suffering. You're on the bottom of the ship. Catching Z's. Selfish. 
in our in our in our in our self-willedness toward God, our selfishness is revealed. These these pagan mariners, these are pagan sailors, they're frantic because this storm is about to destroy them. And they were no doubt veteran mariners. They were veteran you know, naval people. And this mighty storm that was brought by the Lord. Well, you know, when the Lord brings a storm, you can just, you know, you, you, can, you can call on your God, lowercase g-o-d. You can walk in your truth all you want to. That storm is there until the Lord says it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. As they say about a Texas hailstorm, you can't run from it and you can't hide. <laughs> and here, here's Jonah in the bottom of the ship asleep thinking you know that you know he he'd gotten away from the the will of god so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him what meanest thou o sleeper arise call upon thy god if so be that god will think upon us that we perish not and they said every one to his fellow come and let us cast lots that we let, let's play the lottery here let's let's cast some lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots. Uh-oh. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. <laughs> the wheel of fortune. You know, you spin that wheel on wheel of fortune, and it makes that little ticking sound. And then it slows down. And the lot fell on Jonah. You know, God got his ways of, of, God will use pagans. God will use astrologers. God will use pimps. God will use whoever he wants to to get his point across. He will, because he's God. He's sovereign. He can use whoever he wants to. They said, and then they said to him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord. Oh, you do? <laughs> you fear the Lord? The Lord told you to go to Nineveh and preach. And you re the Lord told you to go that way to Nineveh. You went that way, Tarshish. He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which has made the, dree the, the sea excuse me, and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. Because out of his guilty conscience and fear himself, he told them. Then they said unto him, What shall be done unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was very tempestuous. He said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth unto the sea. So shall the sea be calm for you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Did Jonah have suicidal thoughts here? I don't know, so I won't speculate. But he said, throw me into the water. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but when you're out of the will of God or you're in the midst of somebody who's out of the will of God, you can row, row, row your boat all you want to, gently down the stream, sea, whatever it is. 
There's not going to be any merrily, 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 merrily life is but a dream. No. Because when you got a self-willed, selfish person in your midst, there's chaos. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord. <laughs> Lord your God. They didn't cry anymore unto their gods. They cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord. These, these men had just a little while ago prayed to the God of this and the God of that, the God of that and the God of this. Now they're praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, has done as it pleased thee. Boy, that storm sure did, that storm did, sure did uh, change some prayers, didn't it? So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So they had some they, they had enough religion here to, uh, to, to know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob once this situation came about, right? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. See, perhaps Jonah thought this was going to be the end of his life. I, I disobeyed the Lord. I was supposed to go preach in Nineveh. I didn't. Throw me off the ship, and I'll just be one of, 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 of a number of dead prophets who disobeyed God. But, but God, in the midst of Jonah's rebellion and hard-heartedness and self-will, God had a fish prepared for him. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Now, was that a whale? Let's just say, okay, a whale. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. The Lord was saying, I'm not done with you. You might have been trying to commit suicide. And again, I don't know. But he said, throw me off the ship. So Jonah might have been saying, you know, this is it for me. Throw me off the ship. The storm will stop. So, so, so Jonah was probably resigned to saying, the Lord is done with me. He, he can't use me anymore. I've already messed up. He can't use me anymore. Because I've messed up my testimony in, in the presence of, of pagans of people who worship other gods. He can't, he's not going to use me anymore. Throw me off the ship. This is it. He'll get somebody else to go to Nineveh and preach. Maybe Amos or something like that, or Micah. But no, the Lord wasn't finished with him. Just like the Lord is not finished with me and with you, even though we've been self-willed. You know you've been self-willed. You know you, you haven't obeyed the Lord. Always. Your boy. Right? But God is not through with us yet. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah is a great example, one of the greatest examples in the Bible of what happens to us when we're self-willed. Then if you read chapter 2, he prays this prayer, this beautiful prayer, and he gives thanks to the Lord. Let me start at uh, verse 7 of chapter 2, and then I'm going to do a little bit of uh, chapter 3. J Jonah said in 2, 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And that's pretty much all God requires. He, he requires that we remember him and repent. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't even want to do that. They don't want to repent. I think, we, I think our president said he, he's never felt a need to repent for anything. 
But, you know, that's another story for, for, for another day. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in, uh, in unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. That's a good passage of scripture to know, Jonah 2, 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord judged his heart that he was indeed sorry. And the Lord spake unto the fish. Remember, the God we serve has power over nature. Remember Jesus said to Peter when there was a question about paying taxes to the Roman Empire. Because they had, the uh, people had come to Peter and said, does not your master pay taxes? And then, uh, you know, Peter, Jesus knew about it, even though he wasn't with them when they asked Peter this. So when they got back to the house, Jesus said to Peter, uh, 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 you know, he, he asked him a question about paying taxes. And, and Jesus said to Peter, I want you to go out and uh, the first fish you catch, open his mouth, there's going to be a coin in it. Glory to the Lamb of God. He said, the first fish you catch, open his mouth. There's going to be a coin in there. Pay your taxes and mine. Glory to the Lamb of I wish somebody would pay my taxes like that. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out, it vomited out Jonah. Ah. Glory to God. It vomited out Jonah on the dry land. Glory. I don't know how fish... I don't know how far the fish was from dry land, but it, it spat Jonah out. <laughs> now let's look at chapter three. Chapter three is how we want to be. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Isn't that a song? Second time around. Hallelujah. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, same Lord, same Jonah, but chastised, right? Now, Jonah, this is me again, the Lord. Jonah was a prophet. Prophets knew when God was speaking to them. They, didn't, they weren't scratching their head like, you know. Prophets knew when God was speaking to them. Jonah, this is, this is the Lord again. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. You're a prophet. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. The priest goes to God on the, on the behalf of the people. Here Jonah is to be the prophet going to the people on behalf of God. So Jonah arose. This time he went to Nineveh because he had been broken of that self-will. He went according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. I've always wondered what the interpretation of that scripture is. I've always wondered, does that mean that it took three days to get to Nineveh and Nineveh got there in a, and Jonah got there in a day? Or does it mean Nineveh was so large that it took three days to go from one part of Nineveh to the other? And that Jonah, it sounds like it means Nineveh was um, three days away. And, no, and Jonah got there in a day. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I would kind of have to see the original Hebrew, which I don't, I don't have in front of me. I have English in front of me. 
Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried. This is a, this is a chastised preacher. He cried, there, there ain't no greater preacher than a chastised preacher. There's no greater preacher than a preacher that God has taken to the woodshed. That's a great preacher. I don't care who it is. If you can get and sit in front of a preacher that God has taken to the woodshed, that's a, that's, and it's a chastise, a preacher who's been humbled, who's not all full of himself or herself, that's a great preacher. They might utter three words, two words, Jesus wept. <laughs> that's going to be a great preacher. Now, Jonah's still going to have some issues if you read the whole book. But right here, he says, he entered into the city and he cried. He said, yet 40 days, that's prophecy. He, you know, in, in many prophecies, you don't get the specific time period. It'll, you, you'll just have a general prophecy. Jonah said, 40 days. Glory to the Lamb of God. In 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Glory to the Lamb. That's the message he was supposed to preach the first time. But because he was self-willed, he didn't. So the people of Nineveh believed God. These are Ninevites. They're not even Jews. They're heathen. They're pagans. But they believed God. And proclaimed a fast. And put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning and repentance. And from the greatest of them to even to the least of them. It wasn't just the poor people. And the king was up there saying, you know, I don't never have to say I'm sorry for anything. No, from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. The king, the president. Yeah, I said it, the president. He arose from his throne. He laid his robe aside. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes, which is a sign of mourning and repentance. Sackcloth and ashes. The king caused it. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink. And when the king made a decree, you better keep the decree or, or, or you, your head's going to be separated from your body. The king said it. Let nobody eat or drink. Not even a donkey, not even a jackass, not an ox. Everybody's fasting. Glory to the Lamb of God. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Look, look at this revival. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. And he did it not. All because Jonah decided to not be self-willed anymore. Now, if you read chapter 4, there's some more problems here. He's, he's still got some things. Jonah still has some things in his life that, had to be dealt, that God had to deal with him about. Just like Job did. Just like we all do. But if we can get to the point where we say, Lord, not, not my will. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be in this marriage. 
things are not working out like they used to be back in the good old days. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I, I don't like this situation, Lord, that I'm in. Take this cup of um, away from me. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the sign of a mature believer. Go, go back to when Jonah was on the ship. He was on the ship because of rebellion. And his self-willedness and his selfishness, while the, while the mariners were in frantic trying to cast stuff off the ship to lighten the load, they're wondering, you know, because these were veteran sailors. They, they, they were used to being out on the open sea. Now, come ahead a couple of hundred years, maybe about 700 years, not quite 700 years. And there's, a, there's another storm going on in this, on the sea. And there are, and there are men on the, on the ship on this, on the, in, in this situation. And they're frantic also. And they're wondering what's going on. And there's a man sleep in the bottom of this ship on the Sea of Galilee. But he's not asleep because of selfishness and self-willedness. His name is Jesus. Glory to the Lamb of God. And he's asleep. And the men on the ship come to him and say, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? And this man who had been asleep on the bottom of the ship, unlike Jonah, he doesn't get up and say, yeah, I'm the cause, I'm the problem. Toss me off the ship and everything will be all right. He says, oh, ye of little faith. And he rebukes the storm. And the wind, the wind, and the wave, the wind cease and the waves become calm. Jesus, who calmed the raging sea. See, Jonah was a type of Christ. All the prophets in the Old Testament, they point to Jesus, but they're all imperfect types. Jesus is the perfect prophet, the obedient prophet, not the self-willed prophet, not the selfish prophet. He was there to show them that he has power over nature. He knew the storm was coming. Jesus knew that storm was coming. He knew it. He's in the bottom of the ship, catching Z's. As they say, cutting down trees. He's snoring, cutting down trees. He knew the storm was coming. And they come and wake him up. Master, master, don't you care that we're about to perish? Oh, ye of little faith. He gets up and waves his hand. Peace be still. The storm stops. He has power over nature. Jesus. Hallelujah. The gospel according to the Garden of Gethsemane. The gospel according to the Garden of Gethsemane. The gospel according to the Garden of Gethsemane. I pray that you've made Jesus your life, time. I pray that you've made Jesus your choice for eternal salvation. For if you choose him, and you're really serious about believing in him, it's for an eternity. Jesus said, neither shall, it, neither shall they ever perish, but no one is able to pluck them out of my hands. No one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand, for I and my father are one. So if you make a decision for Christ, your, your salvation is eternal.
you'll never lose your salvation because God, not because you're faithful. If our salvation depended on us, we'd be in trouble. Your salvation is eternal because God is faithful. Faithful is he who called you, the Bible says, who also will do it. Under Jesus Christ, who preserves us. The Bible says, when you believe in Jesus, let, let me read that to you and then I'm going to close. I want to read to you. Listen, listen carefully what Paul said to the Ephesian Christians. This is a beautiful passage. I was reading it, uh, I think, yesterday as I was preparing this lesson. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, uh, he says, uh, he said that we who, sh who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Listen to verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, you hear that? The gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, listen, now listen to this, this is very important here. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is, is the down payment that God has given to us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, now if the Holy Spirit is the down payment, man, I'm waiting to see what, what the, it's like when you buy a house and you put up earnest money, you put up $10,000 and you say, don't sell this house to anybody else, we're going to buy it. And you put up what's called earnest money, where the King James Version calls the Holy Spirit the earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit, God giving the Holy Spirit to us is God's down payment saying there's more to come. Glory to the Holy Spirit is the down payment. Man, I can't wait to see what the rest of the payment is. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's one of the points. That's the main point I wanted to make to you. When you trusted in Jesus, you were, you were hermetically sealed. No one can break that seal. No man, no, no prelate, no pope, no pontiff, no pastor, no apostle, no deacon, no evangelist, no prophet, no teacher, no missionary, no spirit, no demon, no, no angel, heavenly or, or, or hellish. No one can break that seal because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise by the Lord. Nobody can break that seal. When you go to the supermarket and you buy food and you buy meat, I know you can break the seal. I get that. But my point is, you see that stamp on it. It says USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture, inspected. You can eat this meat. Because it's been, it's, been, it's been inspected. It's been sealed. And again, I know you can break the seal when you take it home. You're going to break the seal and cook the meat. I get that. But my point is, it's saying it's sealed. It's safe. But let me give you a little bit better analogy if that wasn't good enough. Back in the 1970s, there was a, what's called the Tylenol murders, where somebody was spiking Tylenol with cyanide. People were dying left and right. Ever since then, now when you try to, you buy a package of something, oh my gosh, you got to be a weightlifter almost to open the packet because it's been sealed to keep out, to keep in freshness, but also to keep out predators who would come and, and, uh, and defile what's in the package. Well, if men can do that, the Bible says we've been sealed. The Bible says uh, 
in, in, in that same book of Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, uh, forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. And it says uh, in, in Ephesians 4 and 30, if you let me go there for a second and then we'll close. It, it says in Ephesians 4 and 30, and be not, uh, let me see what it says here. It says, be not, uh, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4 and 30. By whom, meaning by God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God has sealed us as believers until the day of redemption. So when people go around saying you can lose your salvation, they're not being biblically accurate. People who believe you can lose your salvation, though they may not admit it, they also believe you had something to do with getting saved. You didn't have anything to do with getting saved. Salvation is a work of God. It's a work of God's grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know that you had faith in Jesus, and I, I get that. But, but you couldn't even have that unless the Lord revealed himself to you and to me. So when people say you can lose your salvation, I always ask them, at what point do you lose your salvation? Nobody can answer that question because nobody knows. Because you can't lose your salvation. Not because you can't, but because God has promised that you won't. He says, neither shall they ever perish, for no one is able to take them out of my hands. Then he says, in that, almost that same pericope, that area of scripture, he says, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. So I ask the question when people, I hear people talking like that. I say, at what point do you lose your salvation? One sin, eight sins, nine sins, 14 sins. At what point do you lose your salvation? Nobody can answer that. Well, you lose your salvation on the 50th sin. You do? Says who? <laughs> You're sealed. You can lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what you'll lose. First Corinthians chapter three. You'll lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ if there, if there are defects in your walk with Christ. You'll lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. But even then the scripture says, but you yourself will be saved. Yet so as by fire. In Philippians 1, 6, then we'll close. Paul says, I'm convinced that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for allowing me to mention your name, the name of your dear son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to not be self-willed, Lord. Help us to do your good, acceptable, and perfect will, Lord God. Help us to say like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, Lord. As much as my will wants to, like Jonah, go the other way, Lord. As much as my will wants to go the other way, because it seems easier or it seems more satisfying to my flesh or to my intellect. As much as my, my will wants to go the other way, help my will to be conformed to yours, Lord. As your son Jesus said, nevertheless, as much as Jesus despised Calvary, as much as he despised the suffering that he was about to undergo at Calvary's cruel cross, he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, for the scriptures cannot be broken, but your, wills be, your will be done. Even as it's written in the volume of the book, Lord, make me a body and I'll go. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And I pray that you will impress this, Lord, upon your people's hearts. 
I pray that you'll bless them by Jesus, your dear son. Lord, I pray that what I've said will be uh, manifested in their lives through gifts and, and, and fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not only what I've said, but what will be preached and taught all over the world, Lord, in the next few days. Let fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit be manifested according to your good, acceptable, and perfect 